Hi. Hello. Hmm. So it's time. It's for another episode. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> we apologize that we keep making these. Well, we're not going to stop. Yeah, you can't make us. <laughs> for $8,000 a month, we might. <laughs> so donate to patreon.com slash two scared siblings. Yeah, no, we are the scaredest siblings ever. We are. I'm frightened. Yeah. I'm always terrified. Yeah. I don't no, know what I'm... in a constant state of horror, I yeah. think. Yeah. Hmm. What are you afraid of that this week? I can't be healthy. I'm afraid of, like, um, people thinking I'm clout chasing, like, with YouTubers and stuff that I, like, adore um, the content of and, like, saying, like, things about them. I'm worried that they'll think I'm clout chasing. Um. Which is, like, not true at all because I'm actually just really lonely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Um, so clout chasing, that's, like, when you... When you try to, like, suck up to people because you're trying to make your own, like, channel or brand or whatever online, like, oh. boosted. So, like, you'll, you know, suck up to, like, bigger ones or whatever. Oh, okay. So, but from your personal, like, if you were doing this from your personal accounts, yeah. what would you be chasing clout for? I don't know. I haven't started a YouTube channel Yeah, you don't have, no. I don't like, we have, have ours yet. for Two Scared Siblings, but you don't have one for your personal anyway. Not yet, No. Like, I'm working on it, but I, it's not something that exists yet. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. But, like, you know, I think everyone's on the lookout for it. Yeah. Because it does happen a lot, so. I'm afraid of going back to work tomorrow. Oof. Yeah. That's going to suck. I don't want to do it. But I, I don't think anybody does. No. That sounds like garbage. I hate that. I don't mm. know why, but it's been particularly rough lately, just even going to work. Yeah. Well, I mean... I think I'm becoming agoraphobic. Really? What? Yeah. <laughs> so that's your fear. Yeah. I, is a literal fear. My fear <laughs> is be- getting fearful. <laughs> yeah. Agoraphobic. Oh, geez. Because like, I'm already. To you. I'm a little bit um, germaphobic already. Oh, and that's yeah. gotten worse over the years. And then right. um, now I'm like, I don't even want to leave my house sometimes oh geez i'm like the exact opposite i'm like someone please rescue me from isolation oh yeah and see and i'm like can i just get an isolation room yeah <laughs> like one of those like water tanks like from uh oh yeah yeah like, from stranger things sensory like, deprivation yeah that'd be terrifying yeah. yeah or like just like one of those isolation rooms that people that have no immune system go into yeah which is about you yeah then then i could like have no germs yeah. And I wouldn't have to leave. I mean... Maybe I'll just bri- uh, bribe a doctor to remove all my bone marrow and then... <laughs> all of it, hey? Like, yeah. Fuck that bone marrow. Just kill all my Get bone marrow so I have no there. immune system and then that way I have an excuse. Hmm. I mean, it seems like a lot of work. I mean, it seems like bad. Uh, yeah, it's I think it's you not probably a, should not do that. It's not the best idea. I've yeah, ever don't had. do that. No. A okay, better idea. I'll keep brainstorming. Yeah, keep brainstorming <laughs> and keep your bone marrow in one bony place. And uh yeah, so today we have an email. We do. So this is from um Miranda in Australia. Ah, one of our patrons. Yeah, one Yay. of our patrons. So as she says, the first story is one from many years ago when I was still elementary school age. Oh. My family had driven to the local ice cream shop in New Zealand. And um, this day, my mom, who was driving, my sister, me and my brother, went into the ice cream shop like usual. We hadn't been there for a while, and there was a new guy behind the counter. 
Mm-hmm. None of us were saying anything to each other at first. I wandered around exploring the shelves and didn't go to choose my ice cream straight away because from the moment I'd stepped into that store, I felt sick and off. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt this, but I felt spiritually sick, like a sickness that gets right into your soul. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's nauseating and traumatizing at the same time. I ended up feeling worse and worse, sweaty and nauseated, and just like something incredibly wrong or off was around me. Yes. I went back out to the car and sat inside it, and I started sobbing and crying, having this irrational worry and fear for my family members still in the store. Oh, shit, yeah. I cried and prayed they'd come back out soon. So it turns out when they returned and we were all in the car, I can't recall if we actually even got ice creams or not, but every single person, my mom, brother, and sister, told me they'd felt sick too and felt like crying as well. They'd felt the foreboding, weird oppression in that store. Mom said she had a friend who knew something about the man behind the counter. What? He'd apparently murdered someone. Oh. Or my memory is fuzzy, but he'd done something really bad, and he'd been let out of jail, and this was his new job. I don't know the proper terms for it, but I believe something truly demonic had attached itself to that man, and it was so strong it affected all of us. All of us are sensitive to varying degrees, especially my sister. Yeah. So that is a traumatic ice cream story. Well, I mean, I I feel that, too. Like, I've had those moments. Like, that story I told about the time I went to that... uh, the cemetery and hung out there all day and then later i was just like soul traumatized yeah, yeah like you felt something yeah yeah like it, it's a lot it's a lot you can pick up on things like that so i totally understand this yep and then she had another short shorter story okay so she says my friend who i am no longer friends with <laughs> but that's another story he was working at a local bar pub i won't say the full name because it's still in business it's called the young oz For short. That's the shorter name. (laughs) Yeah, not the actual name yet. Anyway, my friend is always ghost hunting wherever he goes, and he was talking to a woman there who has some ghosts attached to her that she communicates with and says they are her buddies. That's cool. And he took a picture while talking to the woman. I think he was trying to get a pic of some coins stacked on the bar or something like that. In the picture, it shows the bar counter, and behind it, in the staff area in the back, there's a shadow figure standing in the doorway. It was a head and shoulders. Ew. My friend was excited to show me, and it spooked me because he lightened it up slash enhanced the image for easier viewing, Mm -hmm. and it revealed massive round eyes that took up the top half of its head and rows of jagged shark-like teeth in a wide grinning mouth. Ew. It was all black shadows blacker than the darkness around it as is normal with shadow figures yeah i have a theory that they hang out in places like this to feed off of people's addictions or emotions yeah yeah for instance alcoholics and gambling addicts they feed off the energy of the patrons in those places and there were always brawls fights drunks and drama at that pub Mm. so yeah if i didn't think ghosts were real before this i sure do now i know my friend didn't edit the image apart from lightening it up a few shades he doesn't know how to edit anything and he doesn't even have (coughs) a computer plus his phone at the time was cheap and crappy yeah no like there are only so many things you can fake yeah and she she says she saw it with her own eyes and and was like yep that's a demon (laughs) i mean that sounds pretty demonic yeah or it was like a literal shark yeah, that sounds creepy. A shark creepy. was just kind of there. This, <laughs> this image like sounds really creepy. Yeah, the image sounds like terrifying. Like huge eyes taking up half of the face and then Jagged sharp teeth. teeth and rows and rows of That's just uh. me on MDMA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I yeah, it's got to be. 
Yeah. No, <laughs> geez, though, that sounds horrifying. I want to see it, though. So, like, if you want to email that to us, you sure can. I want to see this. I, I want to be creeped out. Okay, so, apparently, so she says, our cemetery is right next to our shopping mall and across the street from oh, a high good. school. Oh, perfect. I make jokes about shop till you drop. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. Anyway, the cemetery fence is literally running along the right-hand side of the Kohl's supermarket and Kmart and a few other small stores. Yeah. You could jump over the fence and go into the cemetery if you wanted to. Anyway, I feel strongly sure that the ghosts that hang out in the cemetery like to roam the car parking lot and the stores as well. I bet they have CCTV footage of shopping trolleys being pushed around by invisible entities and products falling off shelves and such. Anyway, one time, after having McDonald's for dinner with mom, we were going to go grocery shopping or had just been shopping, and I really had to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. There are some public bathrooms to the far left at the end of Kohl's on the side. I walked into them and immediately felt something bad. It was that spiritual sickness feeling, a foreboding, ominous feeling, and like invisible things are watching you. I did my business, and as I sat there, I looked up and there was like a chute for a skylight or air vent above me. It was dark and I had the creeped out feeling that something was lurking in there watching me. Ew. The feeling only grew stronger the longer I was there. It was a bathroom the staff used, but even the two girls I passed on the bench outside having a smoke break looked somber and weary. Mm-hmm. The looks they gave me as I walked past were not encouraging. Anyway, Ew. I finished up, washed up, and got out of there fast. Those bathrooms made my skin crawl and my hair stand on end. Ugh. Yeah, so... That's another thing. A lot of thing. picking things up, yeah. yeah. That's pretty much it for the email. Yeah, I mean, there's I a lot of, like... Uh, summed it up, but yeah. Yeah, no, like, a lot of, like, picking up on rough energies, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm really sensitive to that, too, with, like, borderline personality disorder. Like, you can kind of feel what other people are feeling, and it gets to be a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't sound comfortable. It's not. <laughs> like, it's I don't want to feel other people's feelings. Yeah, no, it's like an attachment disorder and an empathy disorder where, like, you're too, you're feeling too much. Yeah. Like, yeah, to the point where it's not healthy or even necessarily correct. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you have for us? I have uh, what secret cousin Brenda, like, <laughs> recommended. So. Yay. This is kind of a secret cousin uh, episode because mine is also one of her requests. Yeah, we got, like, uh, recommendations. So, yeah. So, I was recommended to do Clifford Robert Olson Jr., who is kind of a piece of shit. What? Like, a lot. He sounds great. Yeah, no. Anyone who's named Clifford. I just think (laughs) of the the big red dog. Oh, actually, there was this... Guy named Clifford in my junior high who was a total dick. You see, this is like a jinx name. So I have to tell you this story real yeah, quick. Yeah, no, do it. Okay, so this Clifford guy, I was not good at volleyball. And volleyball was like a big thing at my junior high. Oh, God, me too. Because one volleyball. of, yeah, one of our like, uh, you know, PE teachers was really into, volleyball. like just loved it. Ugh. Just loved volleyball and could not understand and didn't like any of the students that didn't like volleyball. Wow. And I... I hate volleyball. It's It sucks. It's a stupid sport. It's an annoying one. I mean, I guess that's just my opinion. If you like volleyball, whatever, but <laughs> Yeah, no, enjoy your but like don't wrist attack other... damage. Yeah. yeah, wrist damage. Yeah. Don't attack other people who do not like volleyball. Anyway, so I was on his team and I like I'm I sucked at volleyball, but it was junior high and we weren't, you know, in the mm. Olympics. Yeah, probably no one was good at it, so like Yeah. And I think I missed like one hit. 
that yeah. I should have. And uh, Which happens. So outside, like after gym, we were by the lockers, and he's like, if you weren't a girl, I would punch you. What? Yeah. And I was like, uh-huh. Okay. Charming. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because you didn't hit the volleyball? Yeah. Because I wasn't a volleyball superstar and missed a, a hit. Oh my gosh, get over it, man. Yeah. Like, if you'd been a boy and he'd actually punched you over missing one hit, like, in volleyball, like, calm the fuck down. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Ugh. Oh. Ugh. I don't know. People are ridiculous. So, this Clifford is also an asshole. I don't know if he had a thing against volleyball players that didn't that like volleyball. Clifford actually but, like, died later. He did, yep. Yeah. No, so. mine. I mean, the, oh, from shit. junior high. Oh, fuck, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, this one did, too. Okay. So How Clifford's are just like you're, not yeah. a good start. Yeah. I guess not. Don't name your kid Clifford anyway. Why would you do that? It's just the big red dog. <laughs> like, all right. So Clifford Robert Olson Jr., who was born January 1st, 1940, and died on September 30th, 2011, was a convicted Canadian serial killer who confessed to murdering 11 children and young adults between the ages of 9 and 18 years old in the early 1980s. Olson scored 38 out of 40 on the psychopathy checklist, whatever that checklist is, like, supposed to be. It seems like an awkward diagnostic, like, nonsensical thing to me. (laughs) This was added, like, so you know how bad he was. As though murdering people wasn't, like, enough to confirm that for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... This checklist, though, He murdered some people, but also... But also the checklist. (laughs) Yeah, like... You already know he's not a good guy. Like, so, this is more about the murders. And, uh, heads up, warnings for, uh, child death and murder, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and rape. Uh, Christine Weller... 12, from Surrey, British Columbia, was abducted on November 17th, 1980. Her body was found more than a month later on Christmas Day. She had been strangled with a belt and stabbed repeatedly. Oh my god. Yep. On April 16th, 1981, Colleen Marion Diagnault, 13, vanished. Five months later, her body was found. On April 22nd, 1981, Darren Todd Johnsrud, 16, was abducted and killed. His body is found less than two weeks later. So, like, gender may not be a factor in this. what this guy did. Yeah, he just you know? liked to kill young things. Young people. Yeah. <laughs> the, the sweet young things. Yeah. <laughs> sweet, Gosh. Yeah. On May 19th, 1981, 16-year-old Sandra Wolfsteiner was murdered, and 13-year-old Ada Anita Court was murdered in June 1981. So he did, like, a whole lot of murdering in a very short span of time. And was it always, like, strangling and stabbing yeah his main things were stabbing strangling and bludgeoning oh okay he bludgeoned too yeah so he wasn't super picky with his no mode no murder no and he he tended to rape the the boys oh okay Ugh. so six victims followed in quick succession as well in july 1981 Simon Partington nine was abducted raped and strangled on the second day of the month Judy Kozma, a 14-year-old from New Westminster, was raped and strangled a week later. Her body was discovered on July 25th near Weaver Lake. The next victims were Raymond King II, 15, abducted on July 23rd, raped and bludgeoned to death. Sigrun Arndt, an 18-year-old German tourist, raped and bludgeoned two days later. Terry Lynn Carson, 
15, raped and strangled on July 27th, and Louise Chartrand, age 17, the last victim identified, who died on July 30th of that year. That's a lot of murdering. Yeah, he did, like, a lot. And, like, he wasn't slick about this at all. Like, Like, he just, like, was on a rampage. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck happened with that. So, like, Olsen, who had an extensive criminal history, was arrested on August 12, 1981, on suspicion of attempts to abduct two girls. By August 25th, Olsen had been charged with the murder of Judy Kozma. He reached a controversial deal with authorities, agreeing to confess to the 11 murders and show the RCMP, the location of the bodies of those not yet recovered. In return, authorities agreed that $10,000 for each victim was paid into a trust for his wife, Joan, and then-infant son, Clifford III. Okay. Ew, he named his son after himself. I hate people like that. Um, <laughs> his wife received $100,000 after Olson cooperated with the RCMP, the 11th body being a, and this in quotes, freebie. In January 1982, Olson pleaded guilty to 11 counts of murder and was given as many concurrent life sentences to be served in Canada's Super Maximum Security Special Handling Unit in Saint-Anne-de-Plain, Quebec, which houses many of Canada's most dangerous dangerous criminals. Sounds about right. Quebec's kind of that way. Yeah. Yeah. Olson was, of course, a dangerous offender, meaning it was very unlikely he would ever have been released from prison. Hmm. But what? at his sentence, yeah, he tried. To, he tried to go for parole a lot. Um. Oh, sp- speaking of which, there's sirens in the background now. Hmm. <laughs> Clifford, uh, uh, you're supposed to be dead. <laughs> Get deaded again. All right, so at his sentencing, January 14th, 1982, the trial judge remarked, quote, My considered opinion is that you should never be granted parole for the remainder of your days. It would be foolhardy to let you at large. Yes, it's probably That's true. logical, yeah. No, that makes sense. Yep. Like, oh, yep. In 1997, Olson was denied parole, for which, for which he applied under Canada's Faint Hope Clause which allowed a parole hearing for convicts who had served at least 15 years. Okay. Canadian law allows inmates convicted of first-degree murder to apply for parole after serving a minimum of 25 years. Olson's second parole hearing on July 18, 2006, was also denied, thank goodness. Olson made many bizarre and false claims, including that the United States had granted him clemency for providing information about the the uh, September 11th attacks, yep. like the terrorist attacks, and that the hearing had no jurisdiction over him because of that. Under Canadian law, Olson was then entitled to make a case for parole every two years. Okay, Olson, so was that true then? No. I, okay. I mean, I don't think so. It, it doesn't say that he actually had much info on that, because why, yeah, so he's why just would saying, he? Trying, trying he was things. trying things, okay. yeah. Um... Yeah, Olson was once again refused parole in November 2010, thank fuck. And controversy developed in March 2010 when the media disclosed that Olson was receiving two federal government benefits from Canada while imprisoned, though, like a total of $1,169.47 monthly. Wait, what? Why? Ah, because Olson was eligible to receive the Canadian Old Age Security, OAS, pension. 
All persons who meet residency requirements as to length of, of time in Canada are eligible to receive this pension at age 65, and Olson turned 70 on January 1st, 2010. Olson was also eligible to receive the Guaranteed Income Supplement, GIS, awarded to pensioners with low income, which he would have had. The money in question was being held in trust for Olson. Uh, That's kind of fucked, eh? Yeah. Yeah. So the Canadian Taxpayers Federation testified before the Federal Standing Committee for Human Resources Development to have MPs pass Bill C-31, which would terminate pension benefits for prisoners, which is like, yikes in some context, but not in this one. And the organization also presented the government with 46,000 petition signatures requesting that Olson no longer receive the benefits. Yeah. Prime Minister at the time, Stephen Harper, who we know Yeah, we do. (laughs) Yep. Asked government officials to look into the issue. On June 1st, 2010, the government moved to terminate Olson's payments, calling the fact that he had been receiving them outrageous and offensive. Well, it is. Yeah. That's fucked. Yeah. In September 2010, Olson sent one of his old age security checks to a Sun media reporter, Peter Worthington, with a note asking him to forward the check to Harper's campaign for re-election. Ew. Oh. Yeah, so he's sucking up there. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. In September 2011, uh, media reports indicated that Olson had terminal cancer and had been transferred to a hospital in Laval, Quebec. He died on September 30th, 2011, at the age of 71. So, here's some more about Olsen's backstory. Yay! He's Love to hear all about creepy dude. them. <laughs> oh, I know, right? So, he was born in St. Paul's Hospital in 1940, and Clifford began his criminal career at a young age. By the time he was in grade 2, he was regularly stealing from a blind street vendor. Around the same time, he put a small child in an abandoned stove and lit a fire. Oh my god. I mean, I'm guessing this kid didn't die because he wasn't arrested right then and there, but like, fuck. Following his first arrest, at the age of 17, he spent all but four years of his adult life in prison, racking up a total of 90 convictions for offenses ranging from armed robbery to breaking and entering. In their 1982 book, The Olsen Murders, John Ferry and Damien Inwood describe a young smart aleck who is always in trouble for selling out-of-date lottery tickets door-to-door, stealing money left out from milk, or tormenting local dogs no. and cats. I know. When I read that, I was like, no, God, I hope they're okay. Ugh. Olsen escaped uh, from prison a total of seven times, and by age 21, the correction system had classified him as highly unstable and not a hopeful prospect for rehabilitation. I don't know. I mean, he seems all right. Uh, yeah, he seems so far, so fucking good. great. <laughs> Lovely man. So Western media, and like, I commented on this, and people in general, like, very, very often romanticize the serial killers they portray, presenting them as, like, cunning and calculated. But in truth, Olsen was not. He <laughs> quite apparently had no ability to plan no, like, guile, like, no real emotions, and only the barest sense of right and wrong. Like many killers, he acted strictly on impulse, driven by his own immediate need for emotional gratification. Okay. Which sounds pretty common. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, this kind of thing. Yeah, so here's a quote. 
He seemed to enjoy the challenge of quietly screwing the system, writes journalist Peter Worthington in his biography of the killer. He seemed pathologically incapable of comprehending the consequences of his actions, or even caring. Status of the moment meant more to him uh, than his own long-range benefit, and he gained what prestige he had among older inmates by his willingness to play the clown, lead the guards on, and make a nuisance of himself. Some regarded him as a simple-minded buffoon. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. kind of sounds like He was one. like the class clown of inmates, I guess. Oh. So, yet, by 1980, after 23 years in and out of prison, Olsen was a free man, and he chose to celebrate by taking his crimes to a new level. He'd met his future wife, Joan Hale, in February of the same year, and in his later recollections, it was a fight between the two of them that led to his first murder. Sure. Okay. That of the 12-year-old Christine Weller. His MO was always the same, cruise up in his van and tell local children and teenagers he's a contractor looking for workers, pick up whoever seemed willing, preferring them as young as possible, then render them unconscious with a combination of drugs and alcohol, then rape and murder. On at least three occasions, he got his vehicle stuck at the scene of the crime (laughs) and had to call a tow truck, sometimes mere meters from the partially hidden bodies of his victims. Jesus. Yeah, he's like bumbling, but. He's like a. Yeah, like. Out of luck, nobody's catching him right away. Yeah, not right away. Like, it's, uh, it's amazing how much he got away with. Like, what the fuck? He was finally arrested on Vancouver Island on August 12th, 1981, after a surveillance team saw him pick up two female hitchhikers, and in an interview with Worthington, Olson later remarked, quote, Of course I intended to kill him. I had no idea I was being followed. If I hadn't been stopped, those girls would now be dead. <sighs> okay. Charming. Yeah. In August of 1981, he agreed to an unprecedented deal with the RCMP, that $100,000 uh, to 30000 for information on the first four bodies, and 10000 for each additional victim. This so is that's ridiculous. A, I didn't, right? Why can't No one you, gets paid for this. Why? Uh, okay. Right? Like, I've never heard of this happening where it's like, I'll tell you where they are for some money, and they're like, okay. All right, like, we'll pay you for killing these people for telling us. Yeah, like, What? Yeah, so like, and 10,000 for each additional victim. So over the remainder of the summer, he led investigators on a macabre tour of his burial sites, gleefully providing information and even even offering to like pose for photos. Oh yeah, okay. Charming. Right. By the time he sat inside a courtroom in January of 1982, the deal had long since been done. (sighs) I know. From prison... And this is more charming things about our, our old pal Clifford. Um, he would send letters to his victims' families until the correction service began screening his mail, finally. Yeah. He applied for parole at every opportunity, as previously mentioned, and he attempted escape. He lied about involvement with other murders. He even threatened to write and publish his memoirs. Public relief after his death from cancer was overwhelming, and for the families of his victims, this provided the opportunity for both healing and closure. During the trial, the judge stated in this quote, I do not have the words to adequately describe the enormity of your crimes or to describe the heartbreak and anguish you have caused. Mr. Justice (laughs) H.C. McKay declared as the mother of one of the victims sobbed in the packed courtroom. After saying that there is no punishment that a civilized country can impose that would be adequate, 
the judge gave Olsen 11 concurrent life sentences and recommended that he never be released. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, finally. Um, during one of his many attempts at parole and escape, the mere idea of granting Olsen that hearing, let alone the remote possibility that he might actually be successful, outraged many people. Quote, It's insanity, a circus, protested Gary Rosenfeld, whose 16-year-old stepson, Darren Johnsrud, was Olsen's third confirmed victim. This whole thing has brought my anger and frustration back to where they were 15 years ago, says Rosenfeld, who runs an Ottawa-based victims' rights group with his wife, Sharon, Darren's mother. Victims of Violence, the advocacy group started by Gary and Sharon Rosenfeld, still exist today. Yeah, because when you hear, like, people are going to have a chance to appeal... Um, like, fuck that. Like, that, like, can be, like, months out, so then the families yeah. have to wait for that date. And then when they do appeal, or, like, not appeal, but, like, apply for parole, yeah. then you have to wait, like, another few weeks before, like, that decision is made. So, like, yeah. these families are sitting for months and months being like, is he going to get out? Yeah, like, holy shit, is he going to get out? Yeah, like, is he going to come after me? Like, he killed my child. He doesn't deserve to be out. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, he obviously, I don't think he would come after, he'd probably just go after more children, but what they want, they just don't want him out because he needs to pay for what he did to their kids. Yeah. Like, the oldest victim he had was 18. Yeah. Like, uh, and the rape and stuff, it's like, oh my god, these poor kids. Uh. Woof. I know, so that's a hard one, but there is that group. I put that at the end because I was like, at least there's some hope there. Uh, the two of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The Rosenfelds. Sharon and Gary, the Rosenfelds. Yeah. yeah. They have that um, advocacy group. Yeah. Uh, Victims of Violence. It's Ottawa-based if you want to check it out and, like, donate. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Because, fuck. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I know. Charming, hey? It's so, a fun one. So what do you have for us I today? I also have a secret cousin request from Brenda. Yes, our Ghostbuster. Um, so this is the murder of Tori Stafford. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to talk a bit about Terry Lynn McClintock. Oh, shit. What did so, you do, Terry Lynn? In, so I got this from 16 by 9. Mm-hmm. So she was born – so Terry Lynn McClintock was born in 1990 in Woodstock, Ontario. Her mother was a stripper who gave her away to another stripper named what? Carol McClintock. Hush. Yeah. <clears throat> so Carol McClintock had been raised by an abusive father. Um, so from the age of three, she had been physically, emotionally, and sexually abused. Oh, goodness. Um, but she wanted kids, and this is why she – got Terry Lynn from another stripper. She had tried and failed to be a fit parent twice prior to receiving uh, Terry Lynn. Yeah. She, uh, they tracked down her biological kids who were speaking publicly. The son said that uh, 11 years after she lost him, she was allowed to adopt a baby girl and he couldn't understand how that could happen. So she was such a bad mom. She was a terrible mom. She wanted to be a mom. She really wanted to, but, but she you can't experiment <laughs> by using, like, real kids. No. Like, you need to do it right the first time. It's a person. Yeah. Okay. And then her biologically, her biological kids aren't obviously biologically related to Terry Lynn McClintock. No. Uh, but they consider themselves siblings. Yeah. Carol drank a lot, flew off the handle for no reason. She had lots of boyfriends. She didn't stay in one place very long. 
Um, and then Terry Lynn's life was with Carol was obviously bad. And Carol ended up moving in with a bad man. Oof. And innocence gradually disappeared, like Terry Lynn's innocence, right? So oh. uh, her mom got her involved with drugs and prostitution. Uh, Terry Lynn admitted in court to microwaving her <gasps> dog until it screamed. Oh, my God. I know. That was a rough uh, thing to hear. I'm a little re-traumatized. I know. I'm I sorry. Hate that. No, it's okay. It's not your I fault. I don't that like she did this. animal violence at all. Oh. And this is in court oh, like when she like was my being worst fear. This is in court when she was being tried for the murder of Tori Stafford. Oh, like this gosh. she was telling about her life, right? Yeah. Um she was doing lots of drugs by age 16. Ugh. So, let's yeah. talk about Tori Stafford. Yeah, the victim. Our victim. Yeah. So she was eight years old. Oh. She lived in Woodstock, Ontario, which is a place where people feel safe. She lived just a few blocks away from her school with her mom, big brother, and stepdad. Yeah. Her mom was going to a methadone clinic and getting clean. From like heroin, I'm guessing, yeah. Yeah. Um, at 332. Uh, 332. At 3.32, <laughs> uh, school let out, and so she wouldn't get home until 3.45. Or four, because she used to play with her friends in the yard before going home. Yeah. There are rumors that her mom was high on Oxy that day, but her mother says no. And not that that is important. Because I mean, no, that doesn't really matter. I mean, even if she, why is he? Uh, so she deserves to have her child murdered? Like, yeah, exactly. Like what? Well, and Terry Lynn, or not Terry Lynn, Tori wasn't abducted from home anyway. No, so it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, Tori's father hadn't seen her for six months, but he had visitation rights. Yeah. But he just hadn't, doesn't sound like he made an effort. Yeah, like our dad. <laughs> her father said she always said daddy and gave him a huge hug whenever she saw him. Mm. She was part tomboy, part diva, uh, really precocious, strong, uh, strong, uh, smart, strong-willed. <laughs> Can't speak. <laughs> I know. Hard, it's hard to believe that she could be lured. Like, she just oh, wasn't okay. the type that could. Yeah, so that you would this think. wasn't an easy thing. Yeah. yeah. So she usually walked home from school with her brother, but this time someone else was waiting. Oh, yeah. no. So around 3.30 p.m. on Wednesday, April 8th, 2009, she left Oliver Stevens Public School to go home. Oh. Her mom said it was weird that morning because she wasn't cranky or fussy like usual in the morning. Um, there were like few morning. It was one of the few mornings when Tori was actually like on time, ready to go to school. Yeah. Um, security footage at 3.32 p.m. It shows her being led down Fife Avenue in Woodstock by a woman. Yeah. When she failed to return home, her mom started a search of the neighborhood and calling family and friends. Yeah. Um, she was finally reported missing by her grandmother, Linda Winters, at 6.04 p.m. Uh, so on Tuesday, July 21st, 2009, at 9 a.m., it was confirmed that remains that were found near Mount Forest two days earlier than that were those of Stafford. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, of Tori Stafford. Yeah. Um, she was naked from the waist down, oh. wearing only Hannah, uh, Hannah Montana t-shirt and oh. butterfly earrings that she borrowed from her mother. Oh, her lower half was significantly decomposed. Ugh. At the autopsy, they discovered that she died from a beating that caused lacerations uh, to her liver and broken ribs. And oh her, the actual cause of death was repeated blows to the head with a claw hammer. Oh, this poor kid. She's only eight. Yeah. 
Um, on May 20th, 2009, they charged, police charged Michael Thomas Christopher Stephen Rafferty. What a name. <laughs> like, That's too many middle names. What's with these people and I their shit names? Uh, he was 28. They charged him with first-degree murder. And then they charged Terry Lynn McClintock, who was 18, as an accessory to murder as well as other lesser charges. Mm. Tori's mother, Tara McDonald, knew uh, Terry Lynn McClintock somehow. Oh. Yeah. Terry Lynn helped find the remains after her arrest. Her lawyer said that her client – that the client um, – Wants Tori, this is a quote, wants Tori's family to know she is trying hard to find her body. Hmm. Because uh, yeah, she obviously didn't know specifically where it was. Yeah. On May 28, 2009, Terry Lynn McClintock's charges altered to first degree murder and unlawful confinement um, and charged that she and Rafferty would be tried separately. Okay. A publication ban on the day of court, there was a publication ban on the day of court on April 20th or April 30th, 2010, but the ban was lifted on December 9th, 2010, and it was revealed that McClintock had pleaded guilty to first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. On March 5th, 2012, Rafferty's trial began for kidnapping, sexual assault, and first-degree murder. Oh, no. On May 11th, 2012, uh, he was found guilty on all charges and sentenced to life in prison with no parole for 25 years. He appealed saying, quote, judge's instructions to jury were flawed. Mm-hmm. The 30, but the 30-day deadline had passed, but an extension was granted. Like so yeah. there's a 30-day deadline for appealing. Right. And that 30-day deadline had passed, but he was granted an extension because of his inability to use a telephone to contact legal counsel. Ugh, whatever. While he was being held, yeah. He fucking... Ugh. On June 10th, 2013... He appeared in court by video. He was turned down for legal aid. The court date was postponed, and a bunch of other shit stalled this out. <clears throat> but the appeal was dismissed on October 24th, 2016. Good. So there is some controversy. Uh, no kidding, hey? Yeah. Uh, McClintic was moved to Okima. Okie Healing? Okie Healing Lodge, yeah, in Saskatchewan. Uh, she was granted the move as an Aboriginal person. But what? then it was... Yeah, but it wasn't confirmed that she is Aboriginal. Yeah, I was going to say, usually you need status. So this lodge is a minimum slash medium security, unfenced, but monitored with video cameras 24 hours a day place. Yeah, that kind of place. Right. Okay. So obviously, so it's like, it's like a, it's a nicer better. person. Yeah. yeah. Minister of Public Safety Ralph Goodale issued the order for correctional services in Canada to review the decision and general policy. Yeah, is she even fucking Aboriginal? Like, uh, yeah. And November seventh of last year, it was announced that she would be returned to federal prison, and regulations would be made stricter for transferring long-term prisoners to healing lodges. Yeah, which is good. I do believe in healing lodges. I think that's great, but like, for people who aren't this, yeah, <laughs> for exactly. her, she, yeah, like, like it, ha- it should be a specific situation. Yeah. So in the interviews. Um, that cops had with her, um, like when they were interviewing her about the murder itself, right? Yeah. And interrogating her. Oh, geez. So she described how Rafferty had said to her, like, this is the guy that she did the murder with, yeah. had said to her that she's all talk, she'd never kidnap someone, um, and that a young female would be best to kidnap because she'd be easy to manipulate. Ew. So what happened was Terry Lynn McClintock waited outside the school and then she said, 
uh, she basically told them they she took Tori because that's the youngest one that came out. Ew, poor Tori. Um, so Terry Lynn McClintock was nice to Tori. She told her about her dog. She was holding Ew. her hand. She gets her across the street to the car and opens the back door. And at this point, Tori doesn't like it anymore. Um, but Terry Lynn pushes her in and they oh, start driving. Fuck. Terry Mc, uh, Terry Lynn McClintock said she didn't know what the outcome of this whole thing would be. Oh my god! So she was keeping Tori crouched on the floor in the back seat, uh, and then they hit the highway. Mm. Rafferty even took the battery out of his out of his cell phone and listened to the radio for reports of the missing girl. Yes, they were paranoid about not getting caught about this. Yeah. Ugh. So there are questions as to why police didn't issue an Amber Alert. Police said they couldn't without the go-ahead of Ontario Provincial Police. And they had actually called the Ontario Provincial Police twice to ask, okay, can we Can we issue, issue this it? alert? Yeah. And they had said no. Well, fuck you, Ontario Police. Yeah, so this is, yeah. Garbage. And there was actually time, like if they had released the Amber Alert, there was a good chance that she could have been saved because um, Rafferty and McClintock with Tory, they made three stops. They first went to a Tim Hortons and Rafferty went in and McClintock asked him to grab her a tea for the trip and yeah. stayed in the car with Tori. Um, Rafferty then stopped at another place to buy Percocets. <sighs> and then with Tori still crouched in the back, they drove to Home Depot for tools. Uh, a oh, claw God. hammer, a box of garbage bags, and CCTV there, or like sec- security cameras there, show that McClintock went in and used the self-checkout. Ugh. Um, oh my God, this poor little girl. I've seen that shit. Yeah, and at that point when McClintock was in Home Depot, she said she didn't know if she wanted to go back to the car because of, like... The whole thing. The whole thing. Yeah. But she did it, she said she did it to make it better for Tori. Oh, okay, because she thought, like, the dude would be harder on her. Yeah, she, I guess she wanted I don't know. I mean, this is something she's Uh, saying probably to make herself sound better. Exactly, right? So who knows? So in the interview tape, it shows her crying... Like when she's being interviewed yep. by the police. Okay. But then when the officer leaves, her tears stop immediately Ugh. and she's just like drinking her coffee. Yeah, so she doesn't give a shit. And then as soon as she hears the officer coming back in, she's like wiping her eyes, like pretending she's still crying. Yeah. So she, I don't. So she didn't give a she's shit. She's just, yeah. Um, It doesn't sound like she actually regretted this much. Anyway. Well, I mean, if you do, then like it, you, you would stop the guy and call the cops. Like, yeah. If you're pressured into doing something and you regret it and, you know, now it's time to call 911. Yeah. So, um, anyway, so they've got Tori. And they pull into a farmer's field right across from a house, the house that the farmers live in. (laughs) Yeah. The farmer house. You know them. So McClintock said she went for a walk because she didn't want to see what happened. And when she came back from her walk, she saw that Rafferty wasn't in the front seat anymore. He was in the back. And mm. she didn't like that, so she walked away again. Like, what? It made her uncomfortable. Like, Rafferty was obviously in the back with Tori. Oh, so she shit. Was, yeah. And so she walked away again. Over the next hour, uh, the rape and murder occurred. Yeah, no kidding. It took an hour. Oh, no. So there's rumors about a drug debt or, like, revenge on um, like Tori's, Tori's mother. So Tara had become the primary suspect. Mm. Four days after the surveillance video from the school was released, a friend of Tara's recognized McClintock. Mm. Um, Tara's mother had 
actually met McClintic before, or sorry, Tori's mother had met McClintic before. Yeah. She had bought Oxy from her. Okay, so that's why she was uh, getting the the methadone. Yeah, she had been to McClintic's home and she had bought Oxy off of McClintic and McClintic's mom, Carol. Right, okay. So they think it was because of a drug debt or whatever, but it sounds like they just picked her randomly. Just because she's a young female. Yeah, just the youngest one that came out of the school, yeah. So she did confess that she and Rafferty abducted and murdered Tori. Uh, Rafferty had a history of choking women during sex, and there were Charming. they found child porn on his computer. Ew, God. And McClintock had actually already committed many violent crimes, but I'm not sure what. Just in general, yeah. I mean, it sounds like she was a shit mother, so, and she also no. Might this her is dog Terry Lynn. Okay, right. Yeah. Right, right, right. Terry Lynn had already committed many violent crimes, and they didn't specify what. Mm. Yeah, this isn't Carol. Okay. Um, so Terry Lynn McClintock confessed to being the one that wielded the hammer. Rafferty, she said, didn't actually physically kill Tori. She was the one who did it. Cause, what the fuck? Like, there was all that stuff that was done to, to Tori, but... But he um, wasn't the one who killed but, her. He was the one who raped her. Yeah, like, uh, other things that... Like, her liver had been lacerated and such, Ugh. but the actual cause of death was being beaten with the hammer, and Terry yeah. Lynn McClintock said she was the one that did that. Oh, my gosh. Um, I can't believe And that. Terry Lynn McClintock has already severely what? beaten another inmate in prison just for talking behind her back, despite getting counseling and working on finishing her high school education. Wow. Okay. Well, fuck her. Yeah. So she's still violent. Yeah, no kidding. And she was 18 when this happened, so... Wow, so she's pretty young. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, it's crazy. That's so awful. I know. That poor I'm so sad now. <laughs> I know, it's depressing. Happy, <sighs> happy Sunday. We need, to, we need to have, like, a happier thing. Yeah. Let's see, we need to close off with a happier thing for uh, this episode. Um, hmm... I woke up with hmm. my kitty cat this morning. Oh, it was Muffin. Oh, Muffin's so cute. She was all spread out and she was very, very tired. Oh, baby. Because I like smooched her and pet her and oh. rubbed her and she like barely moved. She's just a big chubby kitty. She's passed right the fuck out. She has to carry around a lot of extra weight now too. So she, <laughs> she's a chubby little thing. My cat's getting fat. Just the one too. Yeah, it's really funny. She's eating all the food. Yeah, sugar is not eating any of it. Muffin's just eating all of it. It's like supposed to be for two cats. My little chubby girl. Oh, she's so cute though with her princess face. We we need to post a picture of her on our Twitter now that we've like talked about her. Yep. Yeah. I'll post a muffin picture this week. Yes. Um Yeah. So by the time this episode drops, she'll already be on Twitter. Yeah. So look forward to that. And also look forward to emailing us at two scared siblings at gmail.com. Yeah, and then because we will recite your emails. Oh, and rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, please. Yeah. Please, please, please. And check out our video and yeah, um, our rate video on that YouTube. too. You should su- subscribe to us on YouTube because we are going to be releasing some stuff. We've got a series coming up. We've got a series we're going to do. And I'm it's so a su- stoked. It's a surprise, be- and we don't know when we're It's a surprise. Do it. Next month, I think we should do it next we month. We should try for next month. Like after I have my meds again. No promises, but uh, once Ren has his meds, we're going to try for next month. Yeah, no, I'm kind of fucking crazy. <laughs> what can I he say? He needs his antipsychotics, you know? Um, well, yes. And also <laughs> everything else. Just kidding. All the meds. Every single last med. Yeah, he takes them all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm like, is this a med? 
and my friend will be like, um, yeah, it's mine. I'm, I'm, I'm like already shoveling it into my like <laughs> face. I'm like, ah, yes, med. I love med. Mm, med. <laughs> this tastes like medication. Like, Yay. I'm just so stoked about it. Yeah, no, that's not actually what's happening. Please uh, don't judge me. A little bit. No. <laughs> <laughs> don't judge me for like fake clout chasing out of loneliness and, and eating med gobbling. <laughs> med gobbling. That's going to be my like name on Twitter. Med, med gobbler. gobbler. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we said like that at the same time. We're good. Med oh. gobbler. Yeah. Hide your meds because I'm going to gobble them. He will. Gobble, gobble, gobble. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, yeah. yeah. And our. Uh, before our $5 tier patrons, uh, an extra episode is coming. Like, yeah. right? We're going to record it right after this yeah. and then post it. So, like, it's look the last forward Sunday to of that. every month we drop those, just in case yeah. anybody. Last yeah. Sunday of any, every month for $5 tier patrons. Yep. So, yeah. you should you should hop on that because they're really fun and cute. They're like 15 minute episodes, but they're like the same format and they're just a good time. Yeah. And All we right. have extra horrific shit. I have yes. To, I have to pee. I mean, don't we all? <laughs> okay. All right, so sleep well. Bye. Mwah. Mwah. Okay. <laughs> I know you do. I, too, have so to pee most of the time. And go for a smoke.